Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is our yearly episode where we are recapping our favorite films of 2019. Um, you've been waiting for it. We've been waiting to get together to record it, and now it is here. When is the last time we sat together and recorded? I do not know. <laughs> it was like maybe 1917. <laughs> uh, Stephen, we, we are not, ago. We are not that old. Um, yeah, it's been quite a long time for us. Um, at the time we re-recorded that episode, we had a few episodes sort of locked in the bag that we are releasing. So for you listeners, hopefully for you, it hasn't been as long as it has been for us. Um, but you know, it was the end of the year. We uh, we had some little vacations that we went on, <laughs> spent mm-hmm. some time outside of the city. Um, so that was nice. But we are back. We are ready to just dive in full on into this. But since we probably, probably definitely won't be recording a decade um, recapping episode, it's too much work. But we have been doing this podcast for longer than a decade. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen has been playing around with some spreadsheets and, <laughs> and like, Pulling together all of the stuff that we have reviewed and uh, recapped over the years. Um, so we thought it might be before fun before we started into this episode to kind of take a look back yeah. at this past decade of film. Yeah, just to re- revisit a little bit. And I do want to say, not to toot my own horn, but the earlier episodes of this podcast, the only way to get these lists is to just listen to the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, skip, skip around in it. So th- this There were chapters, t- though. Uh, but the all you had saved for some were MP3s, so I didn't have the chapters anymore. Really? For like 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I don't. That's <laughs> the only link I had. I mean, you don't. The database, like if you go on the website, it ends at like 2014 or something. Yeah, that so is true. So the older ones were just stray MP3 links that I had found. <laughs> <laughs> but but just because this is super good podcasting, I'm on the FTP server right yep. now. Um, well, maybe I'm, if someone gave me access to the FTP server, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't have to guess the URL. <laughs> maybe if Amazon S3 would let me have actual usernames and passwords instead of stupid encryption keys that are really, really long, I would. Um, oh, you can just add my key. I already have an S3. Anyway, we'll figure it anyway, out. Anyway, <laughs> this, this is getting better. But I definitely see. Uh, so I'm not going to read off the names of these episodes because <laughs> I don't know how good they are. But let's just say that there are M4A files for okay. all of these episodes. So, okay. And my life could have been way easier. <laughs> But it was worth doing the work to get these lists. Yeah, it, it felt good. And I pulled up a few stats, too. So every year I have my and Chris and, and Carson, though poor one out for Carson because it's just the two of us today. We'll just do, do ourselves. Um, <laughs> I have stats for, like, all of our lists, all of the overlap we had, what percent overlap year over year we've done. It's it's interesting. We're pretty consistent, actually. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where to – I mean – we can jump we back. start in 2010. Yeah. So in, in 2010, so we talked about maybe we should only go over the movies that made both of our lists yeah. in any given year. Otherwise, this would be unscalable. Yeah. Maybe every year I'll also throw out like one surprise in each of ours. Um, <laughs> okay. So in, in 2010, we both agreed on Inception and The Social Network. Um, I, I feel pretty good about yeah, both of those. Yeah, I definitely stand by both of those films, especially Inception, considering I still consider it like my favorite film of all time but yeah now, now the the surprise for this year that came up in our uh 500th episode extravaganza actually when we talked about these two i wish i'd saved my notes from that so i wouldn't have had to go back and re-listen to these episodes <laughs> um is that i had how to train your dragon and scott pilgrim on my list and you mm. did not have either of those movies <laughs> interesting despite you potentially almost definitely being the bigger fan of both of those movies than i am <laughs> 
That is true. That yeah. just goes to show you what else was coming out that year. Yeah, I mean, your number two was buried, and I, I, I think that's a that's a good wild card. Yeah. All right, so 2011. We had the same number one and number two, though the order was flipped. Do you have a guess for what they were? <laughs> I don't even remember what comes out. All right. Uh, you had Hugo as your number one, okay. and Drive as your number two, and I had Drive, then Hugo. Those I'd stand by those still yep. today. Yep. I, I stand Good. by them, too. I don't know if you would still stand by last night. I don't know if I would still stand <laughs> was that, by... That, that was my 10? or That was your number four. We only did top fives for uh, the first okay, five years. Um, my number five was Barney's version, <laughs> which is very <laughs> unmemorable. Um, but look, we all make mistakes. Okay, 2012. The only overlap we had was Looper. Um, feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Pretty solid. Um, your number one was Safety Not Guaranteed. Oh, yeah, how, do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm definitely keeping that one. Yeah, I, I honestly, every year after 2011, when I look at my list, I'm mostly like, yeah, I, I stand by those. Uh, I think Seven Psychopaths might have been the, the most interesting choice I had from that year. Just yeah. That was before I knew about the cult of Martin McDonough. Like, I'd never seen In Bruges even or anything. Yeah. Um, he would come back on my list over the years. Uh, okay, 2013, uh, we both had Her. Yeah. De- definitely still there. Before Midnight yeah. holds up extremely well. Short Term 12. Yeah. I, th- I think hold- I've seen Short Term 12 a billion times. Yeah, yeah. We If we had done more than a top five, we both would have had Spectacular Now, too. That was my, like, number six that got bumped at the last minute. Yeah. Um, my biggest regret is my number one from that year was Dallas Buyers Club. <laughs> that one has not held up in my memory at all. Certainly not number one level. I got to say, your list was solid that year. I, you had Gravity and The Spectacular Now, too. The, those are great. Uh, okay, 2014, we only had one overlap. Uh, Whiplash was okay, in both yeah. of our top fives. Um, I think we both would stand by our list, too. You were The One I Love, Gone Girl, Nightcrawler, Whiplash, Big Hero 6. Oh, yeah, that was that year. Day yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was a year. <laughs> I was Whiplash, Cavalry, Birdman, Boyhood, Inherent Vice. You finally watched Inherent Vice. Did not Not a fan. <laughs> All right, 2015, uh, we had pretty good overlap because this was our first switch to top 10. And so we had four movies out of those 10 overlapping. Uh, Ex Machina. Uh, oh, no, sorry. One, one of the overlaps was just due to uh, do the Carson list. Um, so we had three <laughs> overlapping. We had Ex Machina, The Martian, and Spotlight. Yep. Um, you had Mad Max, which I somehow managed to stubbornly not have on my list, <laughs> despite really, really, really liking it. But honestly, as I look back over, I don't, I don't see a lot of things I would change. Um, maybe Love and Mercy was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> I don't know if that would hold up off a plane. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same about Predestination now that you did in that year. I'm, I'm still going to stick with Predestination. I feel that that is um, – I think when, when I was forced to jump to the 10s, my 10 became my feature of like I want to highlight something that maybe there were better things this year, but I – I think this is worth yep. talking about. And that would definitely explain your 2016 number 10, Hardcore Henry. <laughs> uh, in 2016, we had two films that we both agreed on, uh, Swiss Army Man and Arrival. Yep. Um, 100% agree on both of those still yep. to this day. Though I stand by my number one, American Honey. I think, uh, I think I would, maybe it wouldn't be my number one today, but I still feel very positive feelings about yep. it. 2017 was a funny year because we only had two movies in common, and it was our first and our last <laughs> picks. Do, do you remember what they were? It was, that was a good time in Landline, yep. right? Yeah. <laughs> Once again, Landline being a film that 
may not have made my list, but it was just a joyous uh, – Yeah. Which is funny because I've told people to watch it and they're like, how is that a joyous movie? I was like, I don't know. That's the way I remember it. I walked out of it like on a high. So, Yeah, when, when I look in my list – from 2017 now i see a lot of similarities to my list today actually <laughs> so <laughs> certain types of movies or directors or something would definitely recur over time um yeah let's see uh so 2018 this is now so fresh i imagine we still stand by most of it uh the movies we agreed on were first man blind spotting and eighth grade yeah. um yeah 100 percent in there there's not anything on my 2018 list that i wouldn't keep in the same place actually you you probably feel similar Probably, so, but I don't have it in front of me right now. <laughs> you were first man, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Totally blind spotting, hereditary, eighth grade, Mission Impossible Fallout, Thunder Road, searching, and then your wild card was bodied. Yeah. Dude. I was eighth grade, Roma, Widows, blind spotting, private life, shoplifters, Black Klansman, first man, state like sleep, the tale. Maybe if I watched State Like Sleep again, I don't know. That was my, yeah. like, Tribeca high. I'll never know for sure if that movie was yeah. really good or not. If you watched it again as your unfortunate, it's only available on iTunes version of the watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think in this whole, in all the years, my biggest regret is Dallas Buyers Club. That, that, that is the main one that I look at, and it's just like a, a thorn in my side. Yeah. But, yeah. It's been a decade. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So, overall, we have overlapped... Never less than four, never less than twenty percent, and never more than forty percent. So we'll see if this year yeah. is similar. This year, my prediction is that we will overlap in three out of ten movies on our list. <laughs> so we should be right smack dab in the middle. Um, Based on you telling that to me over dinner tonight, while I was looking at my list, not showing you, you're probably accurate. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I predicted something else at dinner tonight that was even more specific <laughs> on oh, how yeah, many movies true. you had seen twice. <laughs> <laughs> I got confused. I, I think I got confused because they were both three. Because <laughs> I, I think our overlaps are also movies that we would have seen twice. So maybe the other things you could surprise me on at least half of them still. But I feel <laughs> I feel pretty solid about some of the things we're going to have in common. Yeah. Well, it's almost time to find out if we have things in common. But mm. one of the things that I like to do because. I feel like these lists always need some sort of a preface. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that we should go ahead and tell everybody listening how we created our lists um, and it, what our 10 films encompass. Like, what is the word you would use to do it? Because the episode is always called Recapping the Films of 2019. Um, some people, you know, put their lists online. They say, these are the top 10 films. Some people say, this is my favorite film. Some people say, this is the the films that made me cry the most, whatever, right? Like, how did you create your list, Stephen? Yeah, I, so most years I do a kind of hybrid where I let my, like, 10, 9, 8 or something be kind of wild cards that I throw in, not necessarily because I think they're perfect top caliber, but just because I, like, I want to celebrate them and I want to, like point to types of movies that I really enjoyed that maybe wouldn't be represented higher in the list. This year, for me, was just kind of an embarrassment of great movies, at least of <laughs> movies that I really, really loved, that I didn't even have to do that. Like, every movie on my list, without fail, is a movie that I loved. Like, I, like yeah. I had an emotional reaction to it. Um, what it really came down to then, as always, is, like, how much am I going to reward the objectively great film versus the film that had the biggest personal emotional response assuming all of them had a personal emotional response now it's just a matter of degree yeah, um yeah. and so i basically let the heart win out in the end um like you may be surprised what movies did not make my list <laughs> um 
the written one I'm working on is like 32 movies, so a lot more of them are going to show up there. It, it was just a great year. But yeah, I kind of, I put them, I, I just jotted down movies. I remembered a few that I would be very angry if they weren't on my list. I had a few painful kind of like fights that had very little to do with which is better and more which represented my love of 2019. So I, I think this is really about... Yeah, it, it, it's a mixed bag. I'm, I'm always going to be the sappy, emotional one, where at least my number, like, one, two, or three are going to be movies that just, like, really hit me in a very core place. Um, but all of these movies, I would say, are also great. Like, I don't actually think I need to hedge the way most years I have to kind of hedge on, like, it might not be great, but I loved it. Like, yeah. I, I think these were all awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that every year when it's my turn to create one of these lists, um, I have a difficult time, not because of the wealth of films that I'm fighting to put in there, but because for me, things become a little bit simpler. There are lots of films this year that I genuinely enjoyed, that I liked a lot. Um, and there are much, much fewer films that I watch where I would want them in a top 10 list. Mm-hmm. That's not because they're worse or anything like that. It's just because there there are only a few films I see every year that when I walk into the theater, I'm like, holy shit, this is like, this film is, if I could, you know, it, it's my that year's Desert Island film, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, this is something where if I could only watch this one thing, this is the film that would check all of my boxes or give me something that I really feel like I need to celebrate. So for me, usually making a top three is the one where I have to like, my number one is is almost always duh obvious when i walk into the theater like nothing will beat this i'm 100 yep. percent sure this is going to be my number one by the end of the film sometimes it's early on in the year sometimes it's later on in the year <laughs> um but there are different things um two and three are the other things where i'm like man those were equally as good as that movie but they're not gonna be there yeah and then kind of everything between <laughs> four and nine are sort of just yeah, these are the films that I kind of liked more than some of the other ones. And then my 10, as I kind of mentioned earlier, um, is usually a thing that either surprised me a lot or it's just one of those things where like when I walked out of it, I was like, I'm like not easily going to forget having watched this. It might not be as good as some of the other things that I'm going to feature, but I feel like I have to mention it. Like, for instance, you, you brought up uh, Predestination. Mm-hmm. That film is one of the best like it's it's one of the lowest budge horrible looking sci-fi movies you'll see but the story is so good that it's it's just freaking worth a watch um, and you've been chasing that high ever since that's why we <laughs> reviewed don't let go <laughs> <laughs> hey i will watch pretty much anything there are some direct to dvd or direct to rental things that came out this year that i missed that are time travel related um but i'll at least give them a shot yep yeah so I don't know, this year, I, like, I know every year I say it's difficult, and it is. Like, I've usually seen at least 15 things that I think are like, whoa, this is great, and I would happily put it on my list. Yeah. But this year, it was like 30, so, like, it was just so <laughs> many movies. And I I do think this was just a year where, A, we got a chance to see a lot more really great films, especially, like, going to Cannes. There were a bunch more also that I saw that I was like, this is objectively really, really, really great, and I'm never going to talk about it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And, but, you, and then, you saw, did you see more at Cannes this year than you had previously? Oh, yeah, because last yeah. year I was only there for three days. This oh, year I was there for the whole festival. So yeah. I, I saw like 30-something things this year. Um, yeah, so the... So which, statistically you had to see yeah, which, better things. Which brings me to stats, <laughs> because I was playing with <laughs> spreadsheets uh, this last week. I decided to write down to the best of my knowledge all the movies from this year that I saw this year. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole, like festival thing like if i saw it at a festival that premiered this year it's this year if i saw it when it came out in theaters this year it's this year i don't give a fuck right like, yeah but i'm doing the same every year so i'm not gonna like carry something over for next year or anything like that so anyway in in total there were 121 movies from this year that i saw um 37 were at festivals so the festival high really like carried us over the finish line i think yeah um 43 were in theaters and only 10 percent were at home and 10 percent were on planes so this was a year that like did not get the airplane bump at all this was very much like watch a movie in theaters and the crazy thing is of that over 60 percent i deemed either good or great so yeah. like the vast majority of things that i saw i walked out being like damn that was good that was a good movie <laughs> which is crazy and I, I think i'm sure we'll get into some of them as we go through our list but this was just a year where like directors who already make great things like made yet another great thing and they all kind of like converged at the same time yeah. like you could make a top 10 list that is only the most obvious like this is what everyone would have assumed would be a top 10 list judging by the name of the director and it wouldn't be the worst list in the world like yeah, yeah. It, it was just a year with that's kind of what i mean by the <laughs> like embarrassment of riches like it's like what people say about like local elections it's like if you recognize the name and you could check that off you'd probably get a good selection exactly like like, like there have been years where there have been years where it was very kind of eclectic and there were lots of good things, but there were no clear front runners of like, this will be the Academy favorite. I think the year when uh, The Shape of Water won the Academy Award was like that, where it's like nobody really knew like what is the movie of this year that everyone is talking about. Yeah. This year, I feel like there are at least like six movies that could easily be the movie of the year in any other year. Like it, to me, it was just an amazing year in film. And uh, yeah, it, it was interesting that we simultaneously were away way more often so we were not together nearly as much but we still recorded over 70 episodes yeah <laughs> because of like tiff and sf film and all the kind of cramming that we managed to do so yeah it's been a hell of a year yeah it, it's weird too because i feel like i like i at least i mean you you've been going to can but i i definitely saw more festival things this year than i have in previous years but i also missed more things yeah. in the general theater releases than I would have in any other year. Like when I was making my list of things I saw, I was also make at the same time making a secondary list of, oh, I missed this, oh, I missed this. And my, my missed things was like 35 things that I yeah. would have otherwise seen if I wasn't, you know, traveling for work or at a festival doing yeah. other things that made it so I couldn't see those films. So it's been an interesting little year. And uh, yeah, making the list was fairly interesting too <laughs> yeah, my, my final little logistic things is a to spare myself i removed documentaries from the equation i think i did that last year too so like there are a couple documentaries that's that, only to make up for the year when you had like things that arguably weren't movies i know on okay list. made in america <laughs> um, yeah so this year i'm not straining the definition at all these are all fictional feature films that unequivocally came out this year actually so there it's not even really up for debate um <laughs> Yeah. Are you saying everything on your list is something I could have or did see? Um, everything on the list is... <laughs> <laughs> 
at least 90% of things on the list are things you could have or did see. Okay. One, I'm not sure of the answer to that question. Okay. But it certainly would have qualified this year. Um, yeah, so no, no documentaries. That, that, was, that was more of a me trying to suss out your list, not like yeah. a me calling shenanigans on your list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, other, so, okay, no documentaries, which is a glaring omission because there were at least a couple that, like, in my initial version of this list were, like, in the top five. So... You know, it, it was quite a year. Does that include Apollo 11 or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Apollo 11 will not be seen on this list, but god damn it, Apollo 11 is so damn good. <laughs> um, the, the other is that I made one, maybe two omissions that would have been more devastating if not for my certainty that they would be on your list. So <laughs> I, I did re- do a little I bit really of... I really hope they're on my list. I did list. a little bit of that conniving. Um, we'll see. I feel pretty... I feel pretty sure of it, but we'll find out. Yeah, that's all my caveats. All right. Well, caveats aside, what do you say, Stephen? We get into our top 10 list. All right. Take a sip of beer, sip of ginger tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's here. This is our our recap, our top 10s, our favorite 10s, however you want to call it. We're starting that now. Stephen Miller, what was your number 10? So this is the one movie on this list that I think you will be upset about. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have thought so until very recently. <laughs> That's right. By Christopher Schnazy's laughter, he knows I'm talking about Little Women is my number 10 movie of the year. Um, Chris and I were walking to dinner right before this, and he started talking about how he saw Little Women. And we, we, we discussed the film. Um, but... I did not go into this movie thinking I would love it. Lady Bird did not come anywhere near my top 10 list. And that was the movie that everybody just fell in love with the moment it came out uh, by Greta. Um, But so for one thing, this list is pretty chilly. I think like a lot of the movies on my list are either like kind of cold or kind of dramatic or kind of very heavy and intense. And I was very blown away watching Little Women just last week by how warm it felt. Like this was a movie that just like... It felt like a big, shimmering hug to me. I've never read the source material. I don't know anything about the books, except for what I've read online after watching the movie. But to me, this was what someone like Greta Gerwig was born to make, where the dialogue just shimmers. It feels a lot like the kind of more slapsticky Noah Baumbach movies that she has been in in the past, too, where like you can just hear how like even when people are interrupting each other, it feels so precisely written and orchestrated to feel like a group of people that are actually together while at the same time being way too clever to be real people. Yeah. Um, scenes are just so like confidently done and they're exactly as long as they need to be. Um, and I think the cast was just so great. Like Sersha and Timothy are amazing always. I love them in this movie. I love there. There's a scene where Timothy Chalamet is kind of begging Sersha about like, he's professing his love for her. Some of it is in the trailer and he's mourning when she says like, I'm never going to get married. And he says something along the lines of like, like, no, you will, you're going to fall in love with someone and you're going to live and die for them because that is your way. And I'll watch. And that line just like fucking gutted me. Like I, (laughs) I I don't know what it is about this movie. I I thought the time jumping worked a hundred percent to me. It felt like she found a way to take things that, as you described when we talked about the actual plot of Little Women, if you just read linearly, it's kind of like a disappointing story in some respects. Like, things don't end where you would thematically want them to end, at least from a modern-day lens. And I feel like Greta kind of just pulled off this magic trip of, like, sandwiching 
moments that are hard to swallow with other moments that make them feel like thematically resonant. And yeah, I just loved everyone in it. Florence Pugh, three for three this year. Like I loved her in this. I loved her in Midsummer. I loved her in uh, Fighting with My Family. Uh, Laura Dern is great in this movie. Chris Cooper, I thought was really warm, even though he is so against type because he is not a shitty dad for <laughs> once. Um, my boy Tracy didn't get much to do in this movie, but I love to see him when he did. I mean, that was my real problem with it. Yeah. Bit. <laughs> Not enough yeah. lets. Yeah, I don't, I don't. So this was my agony because there was this in one other movie that will be in your list. I will eat. I'll eat every inanimate object in this room if it's not uh, that I like fought over whether to include it. But I just, this movie just made me smile. It just made me feel so good. And when it ended, I just kind of felt like that, that was kind of perfect, even though it is not my type of movie normally. It just, yeah, it was really a warm, by far the latest of anything I saw in this list. It's the only movie I think I saw this month even maybe we'll see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i mean last month december yeah, yeah, yeah. um but yeah i love little women so before we get abrasive and depressing <laughs> just wanted to have a, a dash of positivity on my list and yeah. i'm now and, excited for what greta does next and and i did have fun with little women they're like the things that you praise in it are there i think i was lost in the i could feel this is gonna be a weird reference but much like when i watched the harry potter films having not read the books i could feel the referencing of the text that I was not familiar with. Mm -hmm. And it sort of kept me just a little bit far back from what it was trying to do. Yeah. But I liked the time jumping. Once I caught on to why she was doing that, that sort of began to impress me and I enjoyed the performances in it. It's mm -hmm. just a film that didn't make my top 10 list. Yeah. So <laughs> the Harry Potter reference is interesting because I would actually agree, like the Harry Potter movies, it feels like it's racing kind of because it has so much to cover. Yeah. I just found it like such a joyful race. Like there was something about it that I just like, I was totally into the hurried nature of it yeah. for some reason. <laughs> All right. So on to my number 10, which either ironically or sadly is probably the exact opposite of Little Women. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the death of Dick Long. <laughs> I thought about including that very briefly, but I did. <laughs> um, the death of Dick Long. Um, if you don't know what this film is, don't even look it up. Just go watch this movie. Um, Steven and I caught this one uh, during the SF Film Festival. We only uh, we only even saw it really. I mean, because the title alone made me skip over it when we were looking through what was in the festival. Um, but then we found out, or Stephen pointed out, that it was uh, it was done by one half of the Daniels, which uh, made Swiss Army Man, which is my favorite film of the year that that film came out. So I was like, well, I'm not going to not see this movie. And what I got was a film with an incredibly crazy premise that is surprisingly <laughs> like it. It's it's simple folk getting themselves into not so simple trouble. And then having to deal with the ramifications of, of that. And this was one of those films that like blew me away <laughs> and stuck with me for a long time. And and there is a secret episode of the podcast that was never released. We never released which, that. Which I'm going to have to release now oh, as yeah. a bonus episode now that this <laughs> made my top ten list. So you can hear us in real time, back in time, talking about this film in the present tense. Because uh, this is a film that I loved. And it's... It's wild. It, <laughs> it's wild. It is. It is great. And unfortunately, talking too much about it could could ruin it. But yeah. The one thing that I think we said in the non-spoilery part of the podcast too is that the the Daniels now at least 
in our two sample sizes are, seem really good at taking something that could be a joke and making it be utterly serious. Yeah. And Death of Death Long is, is great. <laughs> I, I, I love that movie, too. It, it was such a pleasant surprise going in blind and just letting it take you where it wants to take you. Like, yeah, what a... Good pick. Yeah. <laughs> good, good top ten list. And, that was not in my predicted version of your list. <laughs> oh, really? Nope. And uh, just all I'll say is, if you want to get weird... <laughs> we can get weird. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so moving on. Stephen Miller, what is your number nine? Okay, my number nine is a movie that, unfortunately, I believe you did not see, um, which is okay because I think it's a movie that you would not have loved, uh, and that is Her Smell uh, by Alex Ross Perry. Um, so for me, Alex Ross Perry has a pretty perfect track record. Uh, Listen Up, Philip made my list. Queen of Earth, I think, made my top ten. Certainly in a written list, it made something. I feel uh, like that is true. I definitely remember us... Uh, Diving in and debating over Queen of Earth. Yeah, we definitely reviewed it also. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Golden Exits or The Color Wheel yet, but now, like, all of those to me pale in comparison to her smell, which I think is just... So, so he is kind of an abrasive filmmaker, right? Like, the, the movies he makes are about generally unlikable characters rubbing up against each other, Queen of Earth being a prime example, right? This is someone going through a breakdown and we're just kind of watching it happen. Um, this movie, I feel like he steered that abrasive feeling toward the perfect subject, which is a subject that we've seen a lot of in the last year or two, which is the destructive artist. Uh, Vox Lux, Teen Spirit, Wild Rose. I, I feel like there were others in the past year and a half also. But there's there's something about like watching a musician in particular who is like great and at the same time kind of this black hole of awfulness. And this movie is just like, so good at doing that like elizabeth moss is amazing and it kind of makes me very sad that she seems to have been forgotten in the awards conversation now because she is so damn good in this movie um it's broken into five long scenes basically so the first half at least everything is going to hell and it is like one among the more difficult scenes i've seen this year like he really veers into it she's backstage at a show and she's on drugs and there's a baby involved and it's all very disorienting and terrifying. And she's like a manic presence who wants to be wild. She's like a punk star, but then she's also clearly like losing her sense of reality and it pushes you so far in one direction. And then it has such a cathartic few moments later on that it, yeah, I, I could not stop thinking about this movie. Um, I think along with green room, it really is a great movie about, punk slash hardcore bands too <laughs> like it really gets a lot right about about the aesthetic and what it is that draws people to them yeah um yeah great great movie her smell don't sleep on it maybe you would like it actually i kind of talked I, myself into thinking you would not not like it th this is this is a film that i was intending to, to watch it is on my list of things that i missed that i wanted to see i just didn't end up making time for it so yeah. that's unfortunate you won't see it anywhere in my list but uh once i finally watch it I could follow up and let you all know. The music is legitimately awesome in the movie, too. I think more than any of those other movies, except maybe Wild Rose, this definitely has, like, they do write by the songwriting side. Yeah. Like, you believe that this person is who she says she is. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, like, Wild Rose, I'm not even into country, and that one won me over. So, yeah. like, <laughs> this is a little more my genre. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, my number nine. Um, this one, this one, honestly... 
it's it's in it. it. This one, my number nine is in here because there wasn't anything else in the list that I wanted to promote above it. Mm. <laughs> so it's it's the one maybe I'm I'd struggle with the most to fully justify it, but I still stand by it. My number nine is Joker. Um, so. <laughs> Steven's like nodding happily. Yeah, that was in my fantasy thing. <laughs> um, my number nine is Joker. Um, this is a film that by the time we so we we saw it before most people, but it was still too late to not avoid the hype that was around this film. So I didn't like. I was excited that we were getting to see it because that was like one of the things at the festival that we missed that we didn't think we were going to see. So I was primed to be disappointed by it, but I was really wowed by it. I, I think it is a really compelling story of a person who is losing himself and sort of losing touch on reality. And this film builds dread so well. There's, in fact, I would say there's only uh, two films uh, that I saw this year that build dread maybe a little better than Joker. <laughs> And those films appear higher on the list than Joker did. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it was it was it was an amazing story with an amazing performance. I mean, the Golden Globes proved the yeah. how well good the performance was. Um, at least lots of people out there agree. Um, but yeah, I, I I was drawn in by it. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, yeah, it's it's my number nine. I I totally agree. I I thought Joker was great. I. I am surprised at the critical backlash that kind of happened where now the the narrative of Golden Globes even has kind of been like, boo, why did Joker win things? You know, why did Joaquin win? Which to me yeah. is crazy. Like, if that is your bar for what is the bad award, like, man, what a fucking year. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Joaquin is amazing even in even this if you movie. Hate, He's so even good. If, yeah, even if you hate the film, yeah. you cannot take away... His his work in this film because yeah, he's, he's amazing. If, if, if you were at all inclined to reward Leo for the Revenant, you gotta reward Joaquin here because he <laughs> he just inhabits this character. He becomes like his craziness and his pain is the movie. Yeah, I, I this is one of those movies I saw twice and both times the dread worked on me a hundred percent. Yeah, I I would happily go to bat for Joker. It it did not make my list, but it's one of those movies that are of a caliber where in most years I would be like hell yeah, throw it in there. Yeah, no, I I, I tried. To put other things on there, but I went back and listened to myself talk about those things, and I was like, "No, Joker's Joker's staying. I'm yep. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it." Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm kind of sad the cultural discourse has poisoned the well on it a little bit because I think it didn't have to do that. I think yeah. it could have just been a an example of a superhero movie that did something totally different and succeeded in a very surprising way. Yeah, cool. Well, well speaking of movies that build dread so well. Um, my number eight is arguably the most stressful movie on my list, <laughs> um, and that is Uncut Gems. Um, yeah, so like, what can I say about Uncut Gems that hasn't already been said? Like, plenty, plenty of people have raved about it already. I mean, you've got Adam Sandler going nuts. You've got gambling. You've got the Safdie brothers aesthetic. You've got the New York, not not quite guerrilla style this time, but still, you very much believe like you are on the streets of New York. Yeah. Um, you and I both had good time as our number one in the year that that came out. Yep. And. Since then, I've watched every Safdie Brothers feature, at least every one that I'm aware of. So heaven knows what, Daddy Long Legs. Um, and I'm convinced they are just my fucking jam. Like, whatever wavelength they're on is a wavelength that I want to be tuned to. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a movie that is incredibly stressful, incredibly abrasive. Um, certain significant others of mine did not enjoy it as much as I did. Um <laughs> Certain significant <laughs> others. I'm gonna let you walk that back yeah, before yeah. it gets you in trouble, Stephen. Yeah, I'm trying to not name her, name Joanna, <laughs> um, but yeah, it it is a. 
this is a movie that one is, of my three girlfriends <laughs> didn't like it so much. Yeah, this is this is a movie about a guy, kind of like her smell, who is so addicted to a thing, has such a kind of like toxic need to self-destruct that they like pull other people into their orbit. I mean, from the beginning of this movie on, Adam Sandler is just making bad decision after bad decision. He's trying to squirrel out of certain situations. He's trying to talk himself out of things. He's basically like the the side character in most mafia movies who's just getting the shit beat out of him and he's just like the constant fuck up, but we just get to live with him for a whole movie. Um as he tries to shore up his debts and like make more and more bets so he can pay things off, there is a thrill to this movie that the first time I watched it, it was all exhausting. I loved it, but it was only exhausting. The second time, knowing everything that would happen, it wasn't exhausting. But what I got instead was a kind of like a look at how perfectly orchestrated the movie is to make you feel those things. Like this movie does not have an ounce of fat on it. Like, this is just a movie that, in order to make you feel that constant dread, that chaos for so long, you gotta be kind of like a master at what you're making. And I, I loved it. I feel like it is rare that I see a character study where the character kind of like envelops you, like they're so big that you just become them, even if you don't have a clue what they're talking about or what they're doing. And yeah, I I loved Uncut Gems. Yeah, Un- Uncut Gems is a very good film. I think if I could have watched it again, um, we they're, they're, they were doing a screening here in the city with a Q&A, and I really wanted to go to it. But there was another thing that we yep. were going to get to see that we chose to see instead. Um, if I had watched it again, it very well could have made my list. I think at the time we saw it at the end of the festival, I was already exhausted. And then I went through an exhausting film. Yeah about a world that I don't know enough about to vibe off of enough. Um, But it's still, I see everything there that is good and I know that it's good and I know that it's as good as good time, but I just, it, it just didn't hit me at the same time. And part of that may be just my aversion to Adam Sandler (laughs) as uh, a a style of character. Um, There were too many times where he was screaming where he just was Adam Sandler to me. And I think that if I had seen it again, it may it may have pushed it over to allow me to overcome all that. But I think I just saw it while exhausted, and it sort of went by, and I didn't grasp it as hard as I should have. I, I will say, I think it is less palatable than Good Time, because Good Time has a few of those moments, especially this kind of exhale at the end of the movie, that really just puts a perfect button on it. Yeah. And this movie is way more pure, undistilled, Safety Brothers, we are in it anxiety. Yeah. Um, and so also, I, I would say this movie is a matter of taste. Like, I would not say, I would not just wholeheartedly tell anyone you will love it. Like, you might fucking hate this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is just doing a thing that is so, like, pure and distilled. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, like, everything I loved about Good Time is also in this film. Mm. It just it's missing that element of wholly rootforable characters. Like you I guess want Adam Sandler to be okay, but he's also like you don't see the good in him. He's just a guy who's lost to his own world. Yep. And you watch him progress through that world and you don't necessarily care <laughs> how he ends up. <laughs> 
But anyways, <laughs> um, once again, the opposite of not caring where somebody ends up is the caring where somebody ends up. Um, in past years, Stephen has struggled to put two films into a slot and created a category for them and sometimes named that category. Mm. So I, in, in reference to and in uh, homage to Stephen's past year list, I'm going to give this film the... Sorry, move out of the way, Paddleton Award. And I'm going to give it. it. I'm going to give give my eight number eight slot to a little film called Blackbird. Um, if you're not familiar with the film called Blackbird, you should be because it's fucking amazing. Um, this is one of two films this year that I at least know about, which deals with um, assisted suicide and self administered assisted self 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 assisted suicide. Mm. I don't know what the term is. Um, but essentially, it is, I guess, I guess self-assisted suicide is just suicide. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, let me start this all over again. Um, it, it, is, it is about somebody who is terminally ill, who is wishing to end life on their own terms. And Paddleton is really a story about two best friends who are struggling over one of them wanting to do this. And it's about this really strong bond between one person. And Paddleton is fantastic. I loved Paddleton when I watched it. Cried when I watched Paladin, um, <laughs> as as one should and yeah. does. Um, Blackbird sort of ups that ante and says, "Like, what if it's not like two best buds, and what if it's a whole family and extended family, and maybe a family who has a lot of shit going on, and maybe is not quite as strange, but maybe doesn't spend the most time together, and has different levels of uh, moral opinions about this idea of wanting to." Um, a, you know, take one's own life to avoid the tragic end of what their projected <laughs> path is. Yep. Um, this is hard to talk about. Um, but uh, th- this film is just amazing. It, it's it's great performances. You laugh, you cry. It hits all these things that like really makes this a surprisingly heartwarming film when it's about somebody wanting to end their life because they don't want to go through a debilitating illness. And you really see how this person's decision weighs on each member of the family and they're vocal about it. And it's just, I I think this is, you know, it's a great, it's a great cast. They're all doing amazingly throughout this film. And it just, when I came out of that screening of of Blackbird, I was like, holy shit, that was so good. And that's why uh, it's on my list. I completely agree. I mean, I loved Blackbird. Um, it surprisingly did not make my list, though it's definitely in my kind of lengthier honorary list. Um, yeah, I mean, this was also just such a great example of the the festival surprise, you know, the thing where you go in not knowing a damn thing about a movie, and then you walk out two hours later and you're crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially this was the same day, I think, that we saw Won't You Be My Neighbor, or at least yeah. it was very close by. And like, where one movie was advertised as, like, this movie is going to make you cry, this movie is going to get you, this movie just, like, quietly broke your heart in, like, the most melodramatic, but then so earned in all this melodrama. Like, every character moment in this rather, like, large ensemble cast it is earned. Everyone has a real, like, motivation. And, yeah, I I totally loved Blackbird. I, I want to know when it is getting a wider release because I think it's going to break a lot of people's hearts. Yeah. That was on my prediction list for you, by the way. Okay. Just so we're keeping score. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, why don't you move on to your number seven? All right. Uh, my number seven is 
the yeah this is the last movie on the list that you have not seen yet um and so this is one that you might be able to predict based on your earlier question to me about festivals um and that's a movie that has gotten no shortage of love uh called portrait of a lady on fire um a film that the the rest of us poor folk will not be able to see until february yeah unfortunately it was only new york la for a limited run um i managed to catch it back at Cannes. And I listened yesterday to that kind of like sleep deprived call in from Cam that I did that I I recorded with you the kind of mostly monologue episode <laughs> at like one in the morning in France because um, I wanted to know like what did I have to say about it and what's funny is we recorded like just a few hours after I watched it and I was kind of flustered like I was listing a bunch of movies and then at the end I was like oh wait holy shit I forgot Portrait of Lady on Fire it's amazing it might be my favorite of the festival. I don't know what to say about it. So I wish I could rewatch this movie. Like, I really wish I could. Because there's a chance it would get even higher on the list. Um, Like, the seven is a great spot. But this is kind of like Call Me By Your Name. It gets something about passion so right in a kind of visceral... If you tried to describe it, it wouldn't make sense anymore, right? Like, when I talk about Call Me By Your Name, it's like, yeah. Two guys meet up. They fall in love. Then there's heartbreak. Sufjan Stephen plays. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> it's hard to describe why it works, but when you watch it, you feel the kind of enchantment of the connection of the characters. And here, this is a a period piece about two women in the early 1800s, I think, uh, where one is a woman who's set to be married off to someone she's never met before, and another is a painter who is tasked with painting a portrait of her in secret. And it is just a wonderfully moving love story that the bullet points of it sound like the cliche. I think I called it Rochelle Rochelle before, which is the Seinfeld fake movie about a lesbian (laughs) romance. Um, But man, at least like sitting in that theater, watching it for the first time, it was so stirring. It has some beautiful character moments. The cinematography is amazing. It ends on a kind of wonderful crescendo. The kind of thing that just makes it be like, fuck, I want to watch that again. Um, So yeah, I love Portrait of Lady on Fire. I have not seen it in five months, six months. So take that with a grain of salt. Who knows how the rest of the award season may have changed it. But my love of it, it is the only movie on this list that I watched a long time ago that I didn't revisit at least a little bit of to convince myself of. But when it it goes wide, I think on Valentine's Day, check it out because it it is a movie to see. Yeah, it's, it's a film that I've heard a lot of great things about. Um, I was doing, I was desperately searching to try to figure out where it was playing and how I was going to be able to see it. And I thought for sure it would have a screening here in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the cards uh, were not in my favor. So unfortunately, I'll have to wait like the rest of the listeners. Yep. But one thing I didn't have to wait for <laughs> is my number seven, uh, which. Uh, is is one of the films that I didn't get to see a second time, um, but I was going to try to see a second time, didn't get to. It's probably on Steven's list of his predictions for what I had, um, but that is the film Honey Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, Honey Boy is, uh, you know, the mostly autobiographical story of uh, Shia LaBeouf and his relationship with his father, and uh, this was leading into the festival of the things I knew we were going to see at TIFF before we hopped on a plane to fly over there, this was the thing I was the most excited to see. And I believe it was the first thing that we saw at the festival. And it was like, damn, this is setting a high-ass bar for the festival. This is an amazing film. And I think it's 
it's it's the type of film that that you know you think it's going to be this story about this begrudging relationship that he had with his father and it really becomes this touching portrayal of like yeah if you think back hard enough you will remember bad times with your family or things that they did that maybe wasn't great and you realize that that you still love every one of those moments and those things define who you are and i think that this is this is just this, this really touching portrait of this relationship between a child and a father and specifically a father who maybe didn't amount to the things he had set out to amount to and a son who was thrust into a world that he was maybe not prepared for and there's just there's just something about the bond that these two have and the spotlight that they were thrown into or that one of them was thrown into and how they managed the balance between those two things that was just incredibly touching um set a high bar for the rest of the festival for me and uh really just stuck with me and i'm sad that i didn't get to catch it again while once it hit theaters here in the city um but yeah I, i loved it and uh it made my number seven yeah i i did get to watch it a second time and it holds up phenomenally well um yeah, Honey Honey Boy is such a lovely, brave movie. It is, like, conceptually daring, and then the execution is also beautiful, even if you didn't know the concept and how personal it is. It, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful movie that is definitely in my broader list. Yeah, um, yeah this is... Shia, man, like, I hope he doesn't get forgotten in awards season either. I feel like he might, but he gives a hell of a performance yeah. in this movie, and... Everyone, everyone who yeah. plays him, all of the Shia LaBeoufs are great in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, you, you got Noah Troop, you got Lucas Hedges, you when, got him. Like when, when, when yeah, I, I, I said this in the Ford v Ferrari episode, but like when he shows up as the son, as Christian Bale's son in Ford v Ferrari, I was like, why do I immediately feel for this kid? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's something about the way he looks, and then like. You know, 10 minutes later, I was like, oh, fuck, dude, that's the Honey Boy kid. Yeah. And I was like, yes, you are so great. I, I totally agree with you, too, that, like, as the start of TIFF, it was such an amazing way to kind of rele- be relieved and be like, okay, this festival could live up to my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So number six, Stephen. All right. Uh, my number six is another movie that I saw twice. Um most of the movies on this list I saw twice because I caught them at a festival and then like some months later I wanted to rewatch them in a crowd. This is a movie that I watched a second time because the first time I had been jet lagged and kind of fell asleep through parts. <laughs> I don't think I fully fell asleep, but I definitely had some issues staying awake and I'm so glad I watched it again. That movie is The Farewell uh, by Lulu Wang. Um, so when we recorded it, I remember there were some key emotional moments at the end that you were hinting at that I realized I like had maybe forgotten to read the subtitles. <laughs> I think I had just gotten back from India or something. Like I, I was very exhausted. Um, holy crap! Like what a what a fucking great movie this is. Um, like it gets so many things right that are very personal to Lulu Wang's story, but also feel universal. Like the the alienation of travel, of being in a place and feeling like you are not quite a part of that culture, but you want to be. Like, you, you see the warmth of things going on that are a little bit removed from you. Um, it has this complicated blend between, like, love and distance, the feeling of someone who's been transplanted, who doesn't know how she relates to her original family anymore. And then it gets this very personal layer as it becomes about, like, actual family and life and death immortality. It's another movie like Blackbird and Paddleton that is about how do we how do we find a way to talk about death in a way that is maybe embracing connected life together, right? Like how do we 
flip it on its head, where rather than only grieving, we are celebrating the thing that we all have by virtue of being afraid of this one thing. And it it's such a beautiful, unique movie. Like, this is not the incredibly sentimental, sundancey thing I thought it was going to be. It also isn't cold and distant. It's kind of, it, it carves its own lane that is like, it, it feels, this is going to sound maybe co-opting to say, but it feels like being in China sometimes feels like I've been lonely in China before. And you have this feeling of like, this is beautiful and not mine. And, and it has like, it, it marches to the beat of its own drum in a way that I think is really, really, really amazing. There's a late scene in the movie that made me ball the second time I watched it <laughs> on the cruise. Um, I, I appreciated Aquafina's performance so much more on second viewing, too, because she's understated. And she's being asked to be someone who reacts more than she is proactively doing anything. But she manages to do a lot to carry these scenes, even when she is kind of just wordlessly looking around. I think there's so much warmth in the character of Nene. There's so much specific detail that makes you know this could only come from a real-life story that is being brought to screen. And, yeah, I, I love The Farewell. I think it is just a amazing debut feature and, like, a great example of what what filmmaking can do when someone is allowed to tell a story that has never been told before. Yeah, um, The Farewell is a great film. Um, it's one of those films that makes me feel like an asshole for having the death of Dick Long <laughs> on my <laughs> list. Um, it unfortunately did not make my list, but uh, I I had a great time with it. Um, I think, yeah, my my I, I almost wish that it was a little more Sundancey. Like I wanted to comment more on death than just feel it out um, with the family. But I had a lot of fun with it, and the, the that family is so fucking charismatic. Like I enjoyed just the scenes of them not talking and sitting and eating food yeah. and stuff like that. So <laughs> you ready to check it off, Steven? Yep. Um, my number six is a film that honestly, leading up to it, I, oh, sorry, leading up to it, I, I, I was, I was on board when the teaser for this trailer first came out, I, I, I was not into it. Um, I watched that teaser and I said, I do not know if I'm going to like or care anything about this film. Shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then they released a full length teaser for this film or a full length trailer for this film. And I was like, oh, this filmmaker might actually be doing something very interesting with this premise that feels like a joke. Should we say it in unison? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Can you say it with the proper accent? <laughs> no, I can't. Um, my, my number six film is Jojo Rabbit. Yep. Um, I, I think this is a very, very touching and uh, very, very like earnest film. Like when you hear, I mean, it, it much like back when I was praising Swiss Army Man, when I was like, oh, yeah, it's the farting corpse movie. And then you're like, how can that seriously be a good movie? This is the Nazi child with the best friend who, or uh, invisible friend that is Adolf Hitler. And that premise seems very silly and maybe too silly to make a very good touching film. But what you actually get for it is a, a very touching film about what the the ideals that you have and the goals that you have in life and where those come from and maybe um maybe you think you want one thing but you don't actually know what that means or means to other people and through the course of trying to get it you might learn that uh maybe you don't want that one thing i i think that that this this film is incredibly complex and there are times during the second time watching like there are moments that i cried during the first time watching it and there are secondary moments 
Um, there are other moments when I watched it a second time where I, I balled up just because I understood the significance of these moments between these characters because I had the full journey in my head. And I think that just I th- th- this film worked for me on so many levels. It is funny and the jokes are are great to me, but it's really the drama parts of the story that are so compelling to me and what it means for these children who have no real understanding of the greater world around them and what is happening. They have just their insular little life of being in this one house and doing the duties that they think they have to do. But as they sort of realize, they they sort of become adults over the course of this film. And in that journey, they pulled me in and made me love this film. So Jojo Rabbit, my number six. I I agree. I loved Jojo Rabbit. It's it's another one that in any other year would have made my list. Um, it, it, it's another one also like Joker that I think for some reason, the critical consensus is turning on it. And I think that is completely unwarranted. I think it's a, a lovely movie that is both heartfelt and daring at the same time. And yeah, I, I also saw it twice and I loved it both times. I, I thought it was just a, a, such a fantastic execution of what um, Taika Waititi wanted to do. And when, when the music comes up at the end of this movie, like the credits music starts to fade and David Bowie starts to play, it gets me so good. <laughs> like, I, I won't even ruin the song because I'll let that be part of the joy of watching it. But I've listened to that song in the shower, like, almost every day <laughs> <laughs> since the movie came out. Like, this is just a an infectious movie that is relevant for today, but it isn't putting too fine a point on it. Like, it can just be a satire. It can just be sweet. But it also is kind of saying, like, hey, all the people today who are following a kind of fucked up ideology, it isn't too late. You know, it's not too late to remember what life is about and come out of that. And, yeah, I I thought it was a lovely movie. But was it as lovely as your number five, Stephen? It was certainly happier than my number five. (laughs) Uh, A number five that you kind of tongue-in-cheekly referenced earlier. um, And that is a little movie that I would call my step-aside Blackbird. There's there's a more understated version of this film (laughs) that I'm putting higher on my list, uh, Paddleton. Um, Paddleton was a movie that we saw very early in the year. Uh, I believe it was one of our first reviews of 2019, actually. Um, And when I saw it, I was kind of like... I, this might be my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> um, I have not revisited it. I think it would crush me to revisit it. I don't. I, I can't imagine sitting through it again. Yeah. But this is a movie that is so it's stripped down, right? It's Duplass Brothers style, so it's very improvisational. It's very let two characters flow, but it's just Ray Romano and Mark Duplass as these kind of awkward adult male neighbor slash best friends, where one of them learns he's going to die, and they just let that play out. And this is not the most perfectly orchestrated film. It is not a film that feels like it has tight edits or was like incredibly tightly written, but it has such a fluid character bonding. The way that it ends, like the way it builds to its own ending and the feeling it leaves you with, it it just blew me away. I just, I I. I cried harder at this movie than anything else this year, even Blackbird. And Blackbird made me tear up a lot. Oh, to me, but, this... But, but I think I cried more, like, tears per, like, group of seconds 
in Paddleton. Blackbird was just like the second half of the movie. I was just crying yeah. the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's, to me, Blackbird and Paddleton are kind of almost two extremes of what it means to be melodramatic, where one is like, we are going to finally orchestrate and craft dialogue and build all these characters, right? That's Blackbird. It's like the traditional family sense. And this is just like, I'm going to make what the Duplass brothers do best. Like, I'm just going to make a movie where two people relate to each other as humans and you are going to be so absorbed it will be like your own friend is facing death and yeah. it's the movie just completely rocked me I, I i loved it i've been raving about it to everyone almost nobody's seeing it um <laughs> but I, i'm just gonna keep raving and this is i realized between the two of us we've had Duplass brothers movies on quite a few of our lists over the years because yeah. um um i had uh jeff who lives at home way back when uh, the one I love, I'm going to count, even though it was a different director, but I feel like that was in the Duplass universe still. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's got a Duplass in it, so it You have safety not guaranteed. And yeah. I, I just feel like they, Mark Duplass and his crew are kind of just on this kick of, like, they know how to hit your heartstrings in just the yeah. right way. And, yeah, I, I thought this was such a beautiful, pure exploration of mortality and life. And, yeah, that's why it's my number five. Cool. Um, for my number five, I went less emotional and more cerebral. Um, <laughs> I went for a film that gives you a chance to think about what the director slash writer was doing and how they were doing it and let you take a genre of film that is always fun and really get to like Chew it up and yeah. really, really, really enjoy it. This is lower on your list than I thought, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> I guess it could apply to multiple films, though. Um, this is the type of film that doesn't make you wonder who done it, but how done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number five is Knives Out. Um, this is a film that, uh, it, it, it was, it, it, it was funny. Like, uh, we, we walked out of Knives Out and I was like, there's no way this doesn't win the audience award for this. I hadn't seen Jojo Rabbit yet, but I also knocked Jojo Rabbit down a peg from this film. So mm -hmm. let that be a thing. But yeah, it was definitely a thing where like, when I walked out of Jojo Rabbit, I was like, damn, this is the thing that's going to beat out Knives Out for the audience award here. But, uh, but yeah, Knives Out is a fantastic film. Obviously, an amazing all-star cast riddled throughout it. Everyone is is great. Everyone gets their moments to sh moments to shine. And Armist is amazing in this. The rest of the cast is also amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it it was just so fun. Got to see this twice. It was just as good the second time around. Um, yeah, I, I love Knives Out, and uh, everyone should see it because like I, I, you can't go wrong with this movie. I don't think it, it's 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 a great film. Yeah, it it is a fucking blast. Um. I wish I'd seen it a second time because it it didn't quite make my list. It, there was something about it, it was such a fun, well executed movie, and maybe the festival setting just wasn't the right way for me to totally appreciate how much fun it was, or like let that fun be elevated a little bit more. Because because I had a total blast watching this movie. I feel like if I were to watch it again, I would see more of that magic and i would have to bump something so i'm almost yeah. terrified of watching it again because <laughs> i have too many goddamn things on my list already yeah yeah no um, that is true but yeah it, it is so much fun ryan johnson is just such a good he's so good at like picking a genre and then just like tweaking something about it to kind of deconstruct it while still be an amazing entry in it and 
Yeah, it, it's great. I love. I think I read an article that this did better in China than Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> Uh, if it's and, true. and extremely ironic, given the backlash over exactly. uh, Ryan Johnson's uh, second entry into the <laughs> Star Wars yep. franchise. But yeah, this is my surprise, because I thought this would be even higher on your list than number five. Uh, it, it would, if there weren't a bunch of other things that, uh, s- you know, slightly knocked it down a little bit. Lighthouse number one. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do? What would you do? If my I would call Carson <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Well, what do you say, Stephen? You get on to your number four. So my number four is a movie that if I were trying to be purely objective about the craft of filmmaking, about the the accomplishment, like the feat of what the director did, this would probably be my number one. But again, I, I don't feel movies that way. That isn't how I make my list. <laughs> But this was a movie that had so much feeling in it, it still pushed over the, over the top. Um, and that is a movie called Parasite. Um, this is a movie by Bong Joon-ho. Uh, we both reviewed it here on the podcast. Um, that I think I described it then as a feat of structural engineering. It felt like the real major skill set that the director was tapping into was his ability to just build this like Jenga tower, this like perfect construction of a movie and then make all the pieces fall at the exact right time. Um, this is a movie that is conceptually amazing. I think it's like an inside-out monster movie. <laughs> it's like, here, here's a movie about regular people living under a capitalist society who slowly, by virtue of what they need and what they want, find themselves becoming closer and closer to monsters, treating each other terribly. Um, it's also a movie that is just shot incredibly well. Uh, I read recently that Bong Joon-ho actually built the two main houses in this movie um, because he needed it to be the exact right way that he could get those shots. And I I think it shows this is just such a tightly orchestrated jigsaw puzzle of a movie. Um, It is culturally very relevant. I think a lot of movies this year talked about the haves and the have-nots and kind of the anger about what does it do to you to be on the bottom rung of that ladder? How does it numb people who are on the top of it? This movie, despite not being in America at all, felt so relevant to the current American debates that are taking place about politics, about economics, about anxiety. It it, it had it all, and it, it's fucking fun. Like, like this is a yeah. fun, rip-roaring good time. Even when you've already seen it a second time around, it plays just as well as the first I was afraid it was all about surprises in our episode. I was worried because I saw it at Cannes thinking it was a monster movie called The Parasite. (laughs) In in our episode, that's what I said I was going to watch the next night was a monster movie called The Parasite. Um, So I believed that the tricks Bong had up his sleeve were really what needed to be done. But even if you've had everything spoiled, the movie just works. It's just such a good movie. It's a perfect ensemble piece. Like, everyone plays their part right. It's kind of a caper movie. It's kind of a drama. It's kind of a slapstick. It's kind of a... Like, it's just everything rolled into one. It it is kind of indefinable. And it's amazing. It's a perfect movie i would say even though there are three movies higher on my list this is maybe the most perfect if i'm just looking at how flawlessly did you execute on the thing you were trying to do 
and obviously I'm not alone. Parasite doesn't need me. Yeah. It also made a shitload of money. <laughs> so prove that a foreign art house Palme d'Or winner can yeah. also be a success in the U.S. It, which it is, doesn't hurt that it's still playing. It's this still thing playing. came out it, like two months ago. It's still selling out Alamo Draft House in yeah. San Francisco. Uh, yeah, it, that, it is a goddamn movie. Yeah, no, this, this is a film that... Uh, I, I I missed it like three different opportunities to see it. Like I didn't get to see it, and then I finally got to see it. And yeah, I I, I love this film. I mean, it's it's actually funny that you were joking about the lighthouse because I think the par- our parasite review and our lighthouse review are some of like when I think back, some of the most fun I've had talking about films because mm-hmm. there was so much to talk about and it was so enjoyable. And yeah, I, I think I think as you said, this is a film that is masterfully made on so many different levels that it's yeah it is it is the type of film where like if you are grading simply on execution of vision this is amazing so mm-hmm. my turn yeah your turn <laughs> my number four i'm like checking these off as i go but i'm also always confused like i always get lost at what we were talking about my number four is uh and i'm i'm realizing as, as I talked about writer-director combos a moment ago, I'm realizing there may be a trend of, yep. uh, of things coming up soon. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so my number four is a film that uh, I think a lot of people liked. Some people didn't like. Uh, some people walked into it carrying information that may have helped them enjoy the mm-hmm. film. Some people may have... Watch the film without that information and may have got a wholly different experience than the rest of folks. Um, I was technically in between those two groups as I was preemptively given enough information to do some research for going into the film. Um, but yeah, there's a little film that came out this year called Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 <laughs> in Hollywood. And uh, yeah, that was my number four film. I, I, I love this film. Um, I have been a fan of Tarantino for a while. Uh, I don't you know, wholly like every single thing he does, but I'm always interested to see what he's coming up with next. And uh, this is a man who has been talking about retiring for a while. (laughs) And he makes a film that is sort of encompassing aging actors trying to stay relevant in their own world. It's taking um, like societal stories and maybe trying to play with them. Um, It's setting fictional characters in real world events and everything from like the story beats to the casting of just who plays what roles in this film, I think is this like meta genius uh, thing that he's doing. And uh, I loved every second of this film, which is a long film, (laughs) by the way. So loving every second of it is a pretty big accomplishment. And, uh, you know, I talked about films building dread. There are scenes in this film that are fucking so intense. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, somebody nonchalantly sort of strolling their way through an environment to lead towards something where you don't know what the hell it's going to be. Um, a couple of films this year did stuff like that. And, and I, I just think that this film was fantastic. Um, I know it wasn't for everybody, but it is a film that I loved enough to put it in my top five. Loved it so much, but not more than three other films that came out this year. Yeah, I, this is one of those movies that, again... When I look back on the year, it is insane that this will not be appearing in my top 10 list because it, it's great. It, it is Tarantino, and I would say it is in the top third, at least, of Tarantino's output, which is saying something because he's a fucking amazing director. Um, 
it is a movie, it's kind of a part of a theme that recurred throughout the year of directors making a movie that is kind of a statement about their own work and kind of like bringing everything they've done in their whole career into a film to say something about life and the the genre that they worked in and the pros and cons of it and kind of like self-criticism. Um, I would put two movies that I don't think either of us will have on our list um, in, in the future, so I think I can say this, are uh, The Irishman and Pain and Glory, <laughs> which were both very, very much like this, where they are directors who are widely beloved, who just came out of the woodwork to be like, here's a movie that is kind of going to summarize everything else I've done and also be a self-critique and an introspective look at myself, the impact of my work. And yeah, I think, like you said, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not for everyone. People have valid critiques, but I think it is much more nuanced and complex and self-aware than people are giving credit for. Um, it Probably, like, if my dad were to ask me for one movie from this year to watch, this would probably be the movie I would tell him. Um, it, it's great. It, it, the, the dread in the Spawn Ranch scene that you mentioned is, if that scene were a movie on its own, it would probably be one of my favorite scenes of the year. Like, it, it is just incredibly well yeah. done. And, yeah, uh, Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt were on WTF with Mark Maron today, by the way, and it is a great, great, great episode that I'd recommend anybody listen to. All right. We are in the end game now, Stephen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is time for us to talk about our top three films of the year. Would you like to start us off with your number three? I would. Um, so if, if Parasite was all about structural engineering, about the way like the story is orchestrated and flows in a certain way, uh, my number three pick is all about composition, about like the mood, the feel, the look of a movie, the images that kind of burn in my brain that by the nature of what this film is about, take on a very, like, impossibly personal <laughs> um, feel. Uh, and that movie is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, this is a movie that I have not caught a second time. Um, I'm almost afraid to, because my memory of the first one is so stark and surprising. I mean, this is a movie that... So we both had blind spotting pretty high on our list last year, which yeah. was similarly a movie about someone grappling with Oakland and gentrification and identity and what is happening to this changing city that I, I used to be a part of. Um, I thought going into The Last Black Man in San Francisco would be a very similar type of film about somebody very directly struggling with, like, things are changing, where is my role? Um, you, you know, I, I thought this would be a kind of, like... Not on the nose, but a very directly dramatic film. And what I got yeah. instead was a kind of uncannily beautiful look at what makes San Francisco special and infuriating and unique and weird and beautiful. And it this is just a movie that had so many scenes that have lodged in my skull that I can't get rid of. And, and, and there's a phrase in particular that I feel like summarizes a lot of the movies on my list, which is a a conversation that the lead character is having with someone on the bus toward the end of this movie where she's a hipster. She's like us. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's someone who could be sitting there complaining as many people that we run into every day do about like, Oh, the bus is so gross. The city is clogged. You know, there's too many homeless people. There's too many, this, there's too many, that. And the lead character says, do you love it? You only get to hate it if you love it. And I think that that idea of like, carving this middle path of like a love-hate letter to a city, a place that is not 
even it, it isn't your home anymore, but you remember it. There's this kind of nostalgic beauty to this movie that just like I I loved. Like I walk down so many of these streets all the time. I see shots that remind me of shots in the movie. I called them shots. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is just a movie that it, it, it it's wrestling with so many ideas without bringing out any answers. Like this is a movie that is it is against gentrification, but it, it isn't giving the alternative it's saying this is a thing that is happening and can we all just acknowledge that it's complicated and sad and weird and it i i just i love this movie i i thought it was just such a stirring personal very 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 unique look at at a very current issue so yeah that's my number three pick yeah i i think as you said like walking into this film i expected a more of a drama than what I got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that this film is extremely funny and has a lot of very kind of um, I, I, strange isn't the right word, but like just moments that are very not what you expect going into the film. And, and I I enjoyed a lot of this film, and I do that sort of like thesis of the film at the end about loving where you're from and being able to hate it only if you love it. Like I I, I enjoyed all that stuff, and and I. It was a film that I enjoyed a lot, but it also, because it was dealing with so much stuff, it it left me trying to compute the equations that was putting up, and then I realized that there's no answer for it. It's just trying to make you deal with them in different ways at different times, and and I didn't know what it was doing until it was over, yeah. <laughs> and I think I spent too much time trying to follow something that was really a mood and a tone piece, um, but I, I did enjoy it, so... Yeah. And I mean, I definitely think that's what it is doing. It is lobbing up questions and trying to convince you that it's very messy and hard. And anyone who says they have the one answer is probably lying yeah. to you. Uh, have you talked to anybody not from or having lived any, at any time in the Bay Area about the film? I'm, cause, cause... I haven't. I've listened. Like, okay. like I've listened to other people talk about it. Like, it's Ryan Johnson's favorite film of the year. At least it's the one that he called into film spotting to talk about. Um, <laughs> so that's the one data point I have. Okay. Uh, but no, other than the one-way communication of listening to podcasts, yeah. I have not communicated with anyone about this movie who doesn't live here. Because that was one of the questions, I think, um, at least I was thinking about in that in our review of it, was I wonder what anybody not from here thinks of this film yeah. or if they're going to watch it, right? Because yeah. um, it definitely feels like you... And, you know, I've only been here for five years, so I can't even speak about it as though, like, I've been here for so long. But it, it definitely... A lot of what it's doing is communicating a knowledge of the space and you are bringing with you your knowledge of that space to meet it halfway there. And I, I, I think it's doing something very interesting, but I don't know what it would be like if I, if I never moved to the Bay Area, what would I think of this film? <laughs> so I, I also have to say that this was produced by Plan B Entertainment, so way to go Brad Pitt for showing up <laughs> multiple times, arguably at least one more time <laughs> in, in our list. <laughs> Hell of a year. All right. So uh, my number three is uh, maybe also a film that's sort of about what it feels like to be in a place if that place was more of a situation than a place. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I'm trying to stretch this together as best I can. (laughs) Um, This is another film that uh, we caught at a festival. Um, 
other people didn't have to travel as far as us to see this film, they could probably watch this film in the safety of their in own the comfort home. comfort of Netflix. Yeah, in the comfort <laughs> of their comforter and probably a big bowl of ice cream <laughs> that you're going to need to eat as you cry through this film and also laugh, but also feel good, but also feel bad. Um, that is, of course, the film Marriage Story, uh, which is another film that I think, uh, you know, floored me at the festival. And uh, this is one of the ones that I didn't get to watch again. Um, just, I mean, didn't get to as though it was like a hard to do. <laughs> um, I just, I didn't make time to watch it again, but it was one that really stuck with me. And this is one of those films that, you know, has these moments of, of rage and these moments of like pure love and everything sprinkled all together. And it really shows kind of what happens when a relationship falls apart and when there are other things tied in with that relationship, and you get to see two characters not be their best selves, um, sometimes be justified, sometimes not be justified. And it just shows the mess of a relationship falling apart. And it does it in a way that uh, is it, – it, ju- it just has a, a ring of authenticity to it, even though – you know, I'm not in the place that these two characters are, but it still feels like a, a thing that is real that I could participate in. And it just it, it 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 shows you how even when two people love each other, they can still just not make that work. <laughs> That's not enough. Loving someone is not enough to make something stick. Um, and I think that this film does a terrific job of uh, selling this and not backing any one character too much, just showing that this process sucks for everyone involved. And sorry, <laughs> yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, so much that all to say that my number two film of the year is Marriage Story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we're this isn't even jumping around, so it feels okay to just yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, and you, um, yeah. What a what a wonderful movie by a director that again, has had no shortage of love on our list over the years. Uh, Noah Baumbach, I think, is a treasure, and this is, to me, his best work to date. Francis Ha is the only one, really, that even kind of fights with it because they're doing such different, almost opposite things, right? One is about the idealism of, like, young love and young optimism, and the other is about the reality. One is before sunrise and the other is before midnight, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, Marriage Story is just, I, I have seen it, Two and a half times, I would say. I saw it twice. <laughs> I, I saw it at the festival. I saw you it added at a, tissues the third time, yeah, so I, you stop our way through. I, I saw it at a theatrical screening um, with Noah Baumbach here in the city, and I've watched my favorite parts on Netflix um, sporadically over the last few weeks. The, like, what a movie! There, there are so many things. Like when we watched it at TIFF, then the there were three major scenes that stuck out to me, which were kind of two monologues that people have with lawyers and one big argument, right? Those were kind of the big, long-take dialogue, show off the actors, yeah. show off Noel Baumbach style. All things you're going to see clips of at the Oscars, I, I, exactly. I'm sure. And I love those pieces still. But on other viewings, so many other things jumped out to me again, like... For one, the the song Adam Driver sings at the end. When we reviewed it, I was kind of like, "That was I didn't know what was going on there. That was kind of weird." I've since like mainlined that that whole. <laughs> it, it's from the play Company. That's all about like a person celebrating his birthday and thinking back to. It's kind of like How I Met Your Mother, like all the times that a relationship didn't work out, and then choosing at the end to seek love anyway because it hurts. And that scene, like on second and third and fourth and fifth viewing 
that just crushed me. And there's so many little things here too, like comedic physical sight gags, little moment, like everything about this movie is just beautiful. It, it, it's touching. It's lovely. It's about that flip side again, like kind of last black man in San Francisco of love and hate how like in order to properly hate something, there has to be like a kernel of real deep love there too. And I yeah. think it's also about how systems, in this case, the system of divorce in America makes two people who truly love each other ruin each other's lives. And I yeah. think there, there are so many contradictions in this movie that are just handled with such humor and lightness. Like, this is the longest movie Noah Baumbach has ever made, but I think it is the quickest feeling, too, because every scene is necessary and it moves to the next one, and it never feels too dour. It never hurts you. The moment it becomes too heavy and you want to reach for the Ben and Jerry's, there's another <laughs> scene that is hilarious right around yeah. the corner. And it, But that's the thing, too, is like it, you're not done crying when you start laughing, so now you're in this weird state where your body doesn't know how to react anymore. Yeah, I, I just think this is a, a f- phenomenal, phenomenal movie, and Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson deserve so much praise. Uh, Laura Dern... Also, like everyone, everyone is great in this movie. No reason to even list them. They're they're all amazing. Noah Baumbach's ear for dialogue, for clever and comedic, like conversations between people. It it's always been good, but here it feels like it fits a story that is as big as his characters are. And yeah, I I, I fucking love this movie. Yeah. Whew. All right. So my number two. This is these these two films, my number one and my, my number two, uh, had to do a little a little battling. Mm-hmm. There is there is this is once again we're at a tale of two Chris's. Yep. There's one. What does Chris want desperately to be his number one? And what does Chris want to, on behalf of the filmmakers, game recognize game, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of concede to? Um, so, I lost that battle. Mm. Chris stepped down, maybe a little bit, and he made what would otherwise be his number one film, his number two film, and, uh, that film is 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, 1917, we talked about it in the review, um, I fucking love this film. It is, it is a, an amazing feat that was accomplished, but on top of that, it's an amazing presentation, as I said, if just the set direction of this film does not win Oscars, I will be upset. I I mean, I didn't watch the Golden Globes last night. Um, we are spoilers. We're filming this the night after the Golden Globes happened. Um, I scrolled through all the winners and the nominees and stuff, and I was like, yeah, sure, fine. If, 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 if this does not get so many awards, I will be so angry. This film is so good. Um, as I said, it's an amazing accomplishment. It is... Uh, once again, another film that makes you feel war simply by showing it to you. Mm-hmm. It has, amongst these shots of devastation, has some of the most beautiful shots I've seen uh, over the year. And it just communicates people doing something because it is what they need to do because of what it's right to save other people. Um, and they go through harrowing things. And we're with them the entire time because this is a film that's presented as a single shot. And uh, we have to journey through this world with these people in real time. And, uh, yeah, I I ate up every real-time second of this film. (laughs) And uh, I loved every minute of it. Um, I didn't get to see it again, 
but I also just saw it a few weeks ago, so <laughs> there weren't that many uh, opportunities to see it again. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it, and I think it should be celebrated, and I'm putting it at my number two. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in our review, I talked about my mostly very positive feelings for this movie, but then also the sense that what I expected from it wasn't quite what I got. Um, I opined at the time that if I saw it again, it would very likely move way higher on my list, and I haven't given that a chance to be proven true or false. Um, yeah, 1917 is an amazing feat of filmmaking. It is a huge, huge, huge accomplishment. Like a bunch of things we've talked about, like JoJo, like Joker, kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there are like little bits of backlash from people that I here especially I don't think is warranted, but there's a kind of like too cool for school crowd that's like, oh, that one, but so many other things. Like, no, if this is your idea of a bad movie, then, like, get the fuck out. Like, yeah. This is such an incredible accomplishment. Like, Roger Deakins is on fire. Yeah. The actors are great. It, it is a conceptually brilliant film that manages to execute on it. Like, yeah, yeah I am the, I'm in awe of this movie. This film has one single solitary flaw, and that is that the soundtrack for this film does not include the film's rendition of Poor Wayfaring Stranger on the soundtrack because it's fucking amazing. <laughs> I'm going to give a second flaw, which involves a body of water. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Steven. But yeah, Whatever. this is, I, I knew this would be very high on your list. I'm, I'm very happy for it. I wish it could be higher on mine. I'm sure, again, I'll, I'm going to give it a second chance too. But again, game has to recognize game. Like, it is an incredible feat of filmmaking, like, in every respect, and it's remarkable. It, like, if this is truly the, quote, obvious choice at the Oscars, like, the one that people groan with, like, come on, what a year 2019 has to have been. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it it's incredible. Okay. So, we're, we're at it. We're at our number ones. We're at our number ones of the year. So far, I still think I'm on track for my prediction that we will have three duplicates i still think that'll happen um you've surprised me (laughs) so the movie that i didn't put in my number 10 slot may well now not appear at all on the list so we'll talk about that maybe afterwards (laughs) (laughs) the one that i promised to eat everything in this room (laughs) if it didn't show up i'll I'll pull up my list of almost maids and see if if it exists there okay so the game we're going to play after these lists is you're going to guess what that movie was All right. My number one, I didn't want to tip it earlier, but this is a movie that I found to be both brilliant on an artistic level, on a conceptual level, and just emotionally completely floored me. A movie that survived multiple viewings and stayed like no less relevant, and that is Honey Boy. Um, This movie is just, again, I, I think if I were to take off my personal hat, if I were just to talk about the objective, like, what is the greatest thing that was made? I I could point to a lot of things, right? We've named so many of them in this episode already. But Honey Boy is such a... It's therapy on screen. It's such a daring work of art, I think, to write... It's literally therapy on screen. Yeah. like, Like, to write a film about yourself in your childhood, grappling with it, play your own father who, like, we we quibbled a little bit, I think, in our review of whether it's abusive or just kind of an asshole, but clear, like, your own very flawed father who kind of fucked up your life. Yeah. To play him, to find the good in him, right? Again, the love-hate theme is, is 
coursing through this whole list. This idea of like, let me recognize the complicated nature of everything. I'm not going to make heroes or villains. I'm not going to make a good guy and a bad guy. I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to try to sympathize with this person, even as he did wrong by me. And I'm just going to shoot the living hell out of it. Um, I, I, I loved Honey Boy. I think as a statement, like like as a, a meta work of art, as a thing that is Shia LaBeouf talking about himself while acting in it, while talking about the act of like reenactment, right? Right? Like when uh, Noah Joop, Noah Joop, she, uh, when, when he is recreating the dialogue between his parents, when he's on the phone and he's talking for both yeah. of them, when he is an actor, that is like a microcosm of the movie, right? Of like, I'm going to take this horrendous thing that's being said. I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to inhabit it. And somehow I'm going to lighten it by doing it. Like I'm going to be the artist that embodies my trauma and spits it out for other people to get enjoyment and meaning out of. And I just, I I think of all the things I saw this year, this is the one that I felt like was both emotionally breathtaking. Like the moment my second viewing of it started and the movie began and the music started to play, I was like, oh shit, I am back in this movie 1000%. So it's got the emotions. It is just conceptually beautiful like brilliant like the the elevator pitch for this movie i just think is incredible on its own and the execution is near flawless i like all of the acting is insanely good in this movie the music is beautiful in this movie i think everything works and i am kind of sad that in a year with so many great big movies honey boy seems to be getting overshadowed a little bit because i think this is just it, of all the movies of this decade, it's my favorite number one with the word honey in its title. Sorry, American <laughs> Honey with Shia. Shia, you're going to have to go for second place as well as first place. Um, yeah, Honey Boy. I, I completely fell in love with this movie. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I, I think that if I would have had a chance to um, see it that second time, which I didn't, it may have actually worked its way a little bit higher because um, everything else that's on the list above it, um, uh, consequently uh, and coincidentally, um, I saw after I saw Honey Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I loved it though, and I'm glad that it made. It, I'm glad that it's one of the overlaps um, of our yep. list. So we arrived at my number one, um, which, as I said before. We talked about sometimes you just have to go like, hey, you take this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I concede. Like, my number one is a film that is uh, a damn good storyteller telling a damn good story that is just so fucking executed, like, so perfectly executed that uh, I can't not give it my number one. Um, and that is the film Parasite. Yep. So we've talked about it already. Um, it's an amazing film, which does some some meandering in the most great ways like there are moments in this film where you're like i know what we're doing i know what story we're telling oh what's this little detour we're gonna take and you just watch this family insert themselves at the start very you know just like you know victimless crimey (laughs) into this family and you see things progress as things just get more and more out of control and i think that this film Never really falters. Um, in, in our review, I talked about maybe the little code of the film didn't 
100% work for me, but it still fits thematically with the story that's being told. And I think that everything was executed perfectly in this film. And it's one of those things where I think Parasite is just a perfect film. It it might not be the one I loved the most this year, but it's just so perfect that I can't put anything above it because it, it, it just, you know, yeah. <laughs> slow clap. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say more than has already been said. This is, it, in a sense, you did the right version of my list. Because <laughs> you, you put the one that I admitted in the number four slot is probably the best one. Um, <laughs> I know, it was funny that you were like, because you used those exact same words. And I was like, I was like, that sounds accurate. <laughs> Whew. Bong Joon-ho, you fucking did it. Yep. <laughs> Now, the question is, is this going to be the year that a foreign language film wins Best Picture? I mean, if someone's going to do it, Parasite should and can. Yep. Um, I don't know if things will work out that way. Um, if they do work out that way, I definitely won't be upset. I'll be like, yes. <laughs> all right. So now, now it's just free for all. You've made it this far. You can leave if you want. <laughs> but we're going to meander for a bit here for a second. Yep. Um, so you had one film that you dropped. I did. I had a film I dropped because I was so sure it was going to make your list. I am. The higher you got, the more I started to sca- doubt it. <laughs> You're like, what can I drop? <laughs> to put this in here. I either I don't know what you're talking about or I forgot I saw something. <laughs> um, so the movie would have been very thematically relevant to your number one choice last year, uh, which was a movie called Ad Astra that I oh, believe okay, yeah, yeah. you felt pretty strongly for at, when we saw it. At, at, okay, yeah, okay. I, I, know, I know where you're going <laughs> with that now. Okay. Yeah. At, Ad Astra is a great film that is doing interesting things, but not necessarily executing them perfectly. Mm. I think it is... A film that I'm so glad I went back and rewatched, and I think it has so many great ideas in it. I don't think it's a perfect film, though. Mm. I just think it's very, very good. Okay, because <laughs> because Ad Astra for was going to be that was in competition for my number ten until I saw Little Women, and then I was like, <laughs> do I do? Yeah, the move warm... out of here, big man. Yeah, I'm doing Little Women. <laughs> yeah, like like do. do... Do I do the movie about women that warmed my heart, or do I do the movie about yet another distant father <laughs> <laughs> in space? Yeah. <sighs> All right. So, do you have any honorable mentions? Do you want to talk about? I, I I think I will. I think I'll burn my honorable mention um, to uh, to signal the coming of your honorable mention. Mm-hmm. See what I did there. Um, I, I I really really like the two popes. I mm-hmm. haven't I haven't revisited it, um, and I knew it wasn't going to make my list for real. Um, but it is a film that I genuinely thought was like very very interesting, and I I think that you definitely did not like it as much as I did, and other people in our screening definitely did not <laughs> like it at all. But I think it is a very interesting man m- film where two men can just act against each other. Like this is the type of thing you would see where you go into a coffee shop and there's like a little ledge that's like four feet by six feet. And these two guys are just doing this whole movie in like a one act play. Right. Um, And I, I just think it was, it was the most, 
of everything that I saw this year, it was the one where just two people kind of regretting parts of their lives to each other, but still trying to like convince the other one that even though they disagree with them, they should go with their their thing. Like any time a film can have two characters interacting and questioning their own beliefs in a way that has weight for who they are as people, I like that sort of dialogue and conversation. And I don't really know anybody talking about the two popes. Yep. <laughs> um, maybe because it's just a little Netflix film that no one's going to watch. But uh, I think people should see it. And uh, I think it is worth a watch. I, so. I do agree it's worth a watch. And it has been kind of nice to see that at least Jonathan Price has gotten some recognition for it in the award circle, which I think is good. Like the the lead roles in the two, two popes are definitely the reason to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another movie that I feel like... I'm I'm really glad it exists, even though I it, it wouldn't go anywhere near my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Like I said, it was never in contention. Yep. But it's just if I like looking at my list, there's plenty of things that everybody probably saw and are inconsequential to actually mention. But yep. then when I look at things that like I genuinely walked away and was like, I surprisingly really liked that film. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna mention the two bows. Yeah. So in in addition to. You know, the documentaries, like I mentioned, Apollo 11 could have easily made my top three. Uh, American Factory and Honeyland are two other really, really, really good documentaries I saw this year. Uh, Ad Astra, like we talked <laughs> it about. It sounds like you just combined a bunch of the movies you watched I know, into a fake documentary. I know. That honey, it, it's just been a good few years for Honey. <laughs> um, Ad Astra, I, I agonized over that. And what, what's funny is, like, if it made the list, it probably wasn't even going to be number 10. It was going to be, like, number 8, which is the nature of these lists, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Like, the order changes depending on how the list grows <laughs> over time um I, I thought that was just a beautiful contemplative movie it it was meditating on so many things it was just like had jaw-dropping scenes it, it was a to me it was a fully realized idea of let me do sci-fi where i've created a whole world and you're only going to see it for like two seconds yeah and that just i i, I was so impressed by that movie it it, it was almost the like one of the things I complain about in sci-fi genre type films is where I feel like the filmmaker didn't really think through their world. They like came up with something they thought sounded cool. And then you're like, yeah, but how does that work? And they're like, I don't fucking know. It's space shit. Yeah. Um, this feels like the opposite. Like they invented this whole fucking galaxy universe thing. Most <laughs> no, no. It feels like they forgot to show it to us. Yeah. Like you see little hints of like, oh, yeah, you really thought through how all this stuff works and how the society is. But it's inconsequential to the story, so nobody tells you that part. It's like you you want to listen to like the HBO style like podcast where they're going over their miniseries um, in 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 a couple different episodes. You can hear about this world that we don't even get to see because it technically doesn't affect the plot of the story. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, cool. I, I think it would fit so well actually with the Irishman as being like about someone is willing to go so far to try to be great, to try to find meaning, to try to do the most of what they're doing, only to learn in the end that they should go home and value the things that they valued. <laughs> like, this was a year for a lot of kind of somber man movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, there were a ton of lovely movies I saw at Cannes that I haven't gotten a chance to revisit yet. And aside from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, none of them I was quite ready to put on a list without getting more, like, sturdy footing. Yeah. Uh, Pain and Glory, I thought was a really great movie. The I, I was surprised that that didn't make your list yeah. because you have talked 
very highly about it. it, it I, I think it was my number three at Cannes this year or something, um, which is just saying something about how good you, the rest of the year has yeah. been. Um, Sorry We Missed You was a movie that I really, really loved. It also would fit very well alongside Parasite and Us and other movies that are about, um, you know, economic anxiety and the way, like, being on the lower end of the ladder kind of forces you to live in constant fear. Um uh, Young Ahmed was a movie I really liked by the Darden brothers. Uh, that was a movie about a kid who is being radicalized toward a sort of like very violent version of uh, Islam. And he meets other people in his life who are trying to steer him in the other direction. It would pair very, very nicely with Jojo Rabbit, I think. <laughs> um, there were some haunting movies that, again, in any other year would have probably been like a 10 or 9 slot. Dark Waters. <laughs> no, I, I wish. Um, Different kind of haunting. <laughs> yeah. In, in any other year, this would have made my kind of wild card 10 or 9 slot. Uh, and those would be Transit and The Souvenir. Those are two movies that I feel like they're they're definitely very chilly. They're trying to disorient you but they're like so they're very very beautiful and they leave you with a lot of things to ponder over um there were all the big discourse movies you talked about most of them actually jojo joker once upon a time in hollywood the irishman um a movie neither of us talked about today even though i feel like it was huge in the culture as us um i think again it didn't quite make the level of list for me but i think that was like an incredibly memorable movie uh, i really like midsummer too <laughs> um <laughs> the lighthouse i really 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 enjoyed the lighthouse i kind of wanted to find room as my wild card to have that slot because <laughs> that is just such a fully executed it's vision so ridiculous it is a ridiculous movie that just commits a hundred thousand percent um i feel like it's the movie that high life wants to be yeah, yeah, like, it, I, I feel similarly. Like, people rave about High Life for being the weird genre movie that just commits. And I think I think The Lighthouse is that movie. Um, yeah, it, it, there were great procedurals. The report was amazing. And like, again, it didn't quite make my list, but it, especially in this last week after the government has been maneuvering towards war and stuff, the report was like a breath of fresh air for me, just seeing, like, a movie that <laughs> tells it like it is. Um Monos was super, super cool. I did catch up with that recently. Um, yeah, it's been a hell of a year. I will say one, one more like nod to something that no one's going to talk about is uh, a little film called Toy Story 4. Mm. Um, I mean, Toy Story 3 was really about children letting go of toys and the toys dealing with that. And I think Toy Story 4 is really about the toys letting go of children and realizing that like you can move on and everyone will be okay. And I think that like, while we weren't that positive on it, it definitely uh, has some elements that, like, Woody's arc in that film is interesting way to say, like, goodbye to that series, hopefully. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I think if people didn't see that, there's some interesting stuff in it um, that, uh, that is worth, uh, worth mentioning. All right. So can I now read my prediction of Christopher Schnazy's? Top 10 list. <laughs> yeah, go for it. All right. We're going from number one to number 10. Okay. Knives Out, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, Joker, Ad Astra, Marriage Story, Jojo Rabbit, Blackbird, and The Farewell. That's not, not too bad. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got a lot in there. Yeah, not, not too shabby. So we did not... No, we did. We, we did have 30% overlap, too. So yeah. that did happen. So yeah, um, any really big disappointments that you had this year? <sighs> big disappointments. Or things that you just actively were like, why the fuck did anybody let or make me watch this? 
So those are very different because most of my <laughs> like, why the fuck did anybody make me watch these movies would be like terrible movies, you know, like Cats, <laughs> which I did yeah, see. Yeah, but you did that to yourself. Yeah, I saw that on December 31st because <laughs> I just wanted, I wanted to have seen Cats. Um, I don't know. Th- this was not a movie where I got very frustrated. Like a lot of the blockbusters were kind of limp, but I didn't care about them. Like Lion King, who gives a fuck, right? Like, yeah. but it wasn't a big deal. I, I thought... You know, the Avengers pulled it off. We we talked about Star Wars. It wasn't perfect, but it was fine. Um, the, honestly, it was kind of more like awardsy things that I just wasn't meshing with other people. Like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is one that people are still giving rave reviews about, and I kind of feel like... They're what, crazy. <laughs> yeah, what movie did you watch? Um, <laughs> they, they just watched the trailer on repeat for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm more tender toward a movie like Waves, but that is another one that I feel like I'm seeing a lot of heavy praise for now, and I kind of am a little perplexed by, but overall, no, I, I wasn't, honestly, like, and, and I still really liked it, but, like, 1917 is the closest to a letdown of, like, the, quote, great movies. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> of the great movies that I saw, where I was like, I wanted this to be even more than it was. Um, yeah, I, how, what I, about you? Can I remind you of a little film that you may have be forgetting? Yeah, or, please. Or maybe you just didn't have as visceral a reaction to it as I did. A little film called The Nightingale. <laughs> So I actually, yeah, I, I was kind of like in between on The Nightingale. I think even at the time, I was kind of like respect how hard it went while also being a little bewildered by how hard it went. Yeah, I I, I feel like it it took imagery and made you sit with it for too long and didn't justify what it was trying to say with that. Mm-hmm. And I also think the way the film resolves uh, is sort of a big fuck you to the main character. <laughs> <laughs> but who's to say? <laughs> See, I, I would go to bat for the Nightingale in a kind of hedging way. To to me, it Luke is, hedging, hedging way. <laughs> it's it's survived well in my memory as a movie that like really went for it, and it was trying to do just one thing, and the details almost didn't matter compared to that one thing. Um, well, it did one thing? That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely went there. <laughs> um, um, I, yeah, I mean. No, mostly, again, it was a year where I mostly liked everything. Like, Us and Midsommar are examples where there are genres I don't even like that I felt good about. Yeah. Like, even, like, the dad movies, like Ford v. Ferrari, like, I had a fucking blast with that movie. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, I, I think for me, being, watching a very bad film in a festival scenario is even worse than just seeing it in a theater or at home because... If you really hate it, you can just leave. And I feel like I can't be the guy who walks out in this festival. Yep. Um, but for me, uh, a film which I still want you to watch, I don't think you saw I feel like you would have told me if you saw it, is a little film called Diamantino. Um, mm, I haven't seen it yet. Which is, I. this was SF Films' secret screening. I was like, cool, what is it going to be? This has to be cool. I wonder what it is. And they were like, we really love this. Hope you enjoy it. Diamantino. And it is the most fucking ridiculous movie I have ever seen. It is about a guy who, like, misses a kick in the World Cup and then decides that he wants to go adopt a refugee because he has a memory of when he was a child, his dad rescuing refugees from a boat. And then it turns out that the refugee is actually, like, a CIA agent in disguise trying to investigate him. And there's, like, weird World World Cup domination Plots from an evil organization. It is the most ridiculous movie I've ever seen. And uh, some 
prominent film critics have it on their top 25 lists. Yeah. And it boggles my mind. It is I don't showing up know. in a few different places. So I am going to go through the movies I called bad, bad of this year, just to refresh my memory. Uh, Lucy in the Sky, bad. Bad, bad. <laughs> Cats, bad. Dumbo, bad. Bad. Hobbs and Shaw, I called it bad. Yeah. I, I mean, know. it's stupid. It's yeah. it's it's not any worse than it intended. To yeah, be. It, it isn't offensively bad. I'm, I'm going to say that too for the next one. It chapter two. Oh, uh, that was just bad. Yeah, I see. I called it bad, but again, I thought it was kind of silly. Uh, one that this is going to be kind of edgy take. Late night. I thought late night was bad. That was that was the Mindy Kaling Mindy Kaling comedy about someone who's writing for a late night show. I thought that was so toothless and boring and had a premise that could have been cool and just completely squandered it. Men in Black International. Bad. That was bad. Serenity. <laughs> bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Serenity. Uh, here, here's one that was disappointingly bad, I think, is Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, that one I found, yeah. like, that was bad, and it could have been not bad. Yeah, it, uh, was, that, it was just weak. Uh, Carson, don't come at me, but The Hummingbird Project, bad. Oh, that's so bad. The Lion King, bad. Yeah, but that, you knew that was going to yeah. be bad. Yeah. Uh, Mech Tube, My Love. That was the can movie. The four-hour can movie that when I listened to our episode, I was so full of hope of like, I'm going to watch this. It's the last... It, it's the last film of the festival, I erroneously said. Um, it's four hours long. It's by the guy who made uh, Blue is the Warmest Color. God, that movie was awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- those, were, those were my bad, angry, bad movies with Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Kind of like... In the mix. I, I think Beautiful Living in the Neighborhood made me the most upset in the moment because the trailer for it made me cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was a year, though, where I avoided seeing most movies I thought would be bad. So there was a big self-selecting like effect going on. I'm scrolling through my list. I <laughs> Hotel Mumbai? <laughs> yeah, like I, I called that okay. But it's, yeah, that was disappointing. Where do you go, Bernadette? I, I put that as disappointing as well. Yeah, well, was... I already didn't want to see the movie because I read the book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker? <laughs> Dis- yeah, sure. Disappointing. Disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing. D- disappointing, but not bad. Yeah. Just switch that B out for an S and then yep. it's sad. <laughs> yeah, no, it was... I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the year or it's me. Like, like it's just us getting to see more things, but... I, I felt like this movie, most of the time, I was pretty happy I watched anything that I watched, which was not always true in the spoiler warning history. <laughs> cool. Well, any last thoughts on this year of film, Stephen? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to say au revoir or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to go. So, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com, where I'm going to try to make a top 10 slash top 30 something <laughs> list, <laughs> if I can muster up the energy to write all those sentences. <laughs> people can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com, where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. 
Music for this episode will come from uh, DJ Earworm's uh, United States of Pop 2019, which is uh, we've been using those uh, end-of-year recaps of all the pop songs each year if we can. Um, so hopefully you're enjoying those tunes playing right now. Um, we are going to take off um, and uh, find a time to start reviewing the films of 2020. So... Yeah, Underwater is coming out soon. That's right. I am seeing it tomorrow. Oh, shit. <laughs> How? Uh, Alamo, Alamo has one screening in like the tiny theater um, where there was one seat left in the middle I booked before I left for uh, vacation. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be seeing that with a live stream Q&A. So nice. I hope to God this definitely not is a Cloverfield movie thing. Um no, but I, I, I don't know who was actually on this live stream Q&A um, or when it was actually technically recorded. Just TJ Miller. <laughs> <laughs> They're pulling me underwater. <laughs> no, I, I think underwater looks great. Um, I still think it's funny that like when they first did the trailer, I was like, man, this definitely feels like a Cloverfield movie. Yeah, and I was going to ask, is there a chance it links into Cloverfield and TJ Miller is just like low key in all the Cloverfield so, movies? <laughs> well, so the funny thing is like I had this thought when they released the trailer online. And then I was like, I'm going to start Googling this shit. And there's like a deep rabbit hole of Reddit who have been talking about this film for like two years since mm. the script leaked. Um, so I've definitely downloaded the script and read the last pages. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm still excited for the film, though. Okay. Um, it's not Cloverfield, but it's, I mean, it's, it, it feels like the person who wrote it wanted it to be picked up I as a Cloverfield film. I should look up if the studio could have even been Cloverfield. That was probably a dumb guess. It's No, it's, it's not. It's, it's yeah. uh, not... But we'll see. I'm excited. Cool. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. To another 10 years. 